1 Corinthians chapter number 14. I want to read one verse, verse number 33. Very familiar passage of Scripture. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Brother Terry, would you pray for us tonight? I want to deal with a problem tonight, if I can. I want to deal with a problem that I personally know, Brother Terry, is probably one of the biggest problems that our people are facing in the hour we're living in. I'm talking about good people. I'm talking about faithful people. I'm talking about a real problem that real people are facing. I say this not to boast, but I say this to make a point. I've been in over 200 different churches, Joanne. All different denominations, all different sizes, all different flavors. I've talked to I don't know how many numbers of people. But I say that to say this. I promise you that this problem that I'm talking about tonight is one of the biggest problems that good Christian people are dealing with at some point in their Christian life. Now, just to back up for just a minute, I know that in the context of the Scripture, Paul is dealing with the gift of tongues. Now, I don't want to talk about speaking in tongues tonight. I'm depressed enough. Somebody said, oh, pray God will give me a new tongue. I said, bless God, I'm praying He'll get a hold of the one you've got. Somebody said, I'm putting my tongue on the altar tonight. Well, you no, you're not because the altar is only 20 feet long. Everybody okay? Paul is dealing. I'm aware of the fact that Paul is dealing with the gift of tongues. But in verse 33, they're having a problem with this gift because it was being abused because they did not have a Bible. They did not have the completion of the New Testament. And the gift was being abused. And Paul was trying to straighten the problem out. So Paul gives us a spiritual truth in verse number 33 that not only applies to tongues but it applies to every area in our life. Paul says, God does not give confusion. On the contrary, your Bible says that God gives peace. Now I've been studying on this for some time and thinking about this for some time and I pray to God that if you're dealing with this problem that I'm dealing with tonight, that you'll never again after the message tonight ever have this problem again. I want to talk about the greatest problem that most of our people in our churches today are facing. And it's the problem of being confused about whether you're really saved or not. So many people don't understand, Benny, the difference between Holy Ghost conviction and confusion. What's wrong with our people today, preacher? Is it sin? Is it the world? It could be. But I submit to you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, that the very thing that's robbed the joy out of a lot of our people's life is this thing of doubting their salvation and being confused. Now what I'm about to say is not popular. You might not even like it, but you're looking at a preacher who does not believe that you get saved three and four hundred times in your lifetimes. Look, I don't want to debate you on whether or not you can lose it. I'm depressed. I've got a gun and I'm going through the change of life. Leave me alone. Bless God tonight, I'm talking about whether or not you ever really had it. 
I say to you that God is not the author of confusion. In my own lifetime, in all my years of going to church, Terry, I've seen people make so many professions of faith that they've got me confused about whether they really got saved or not. Hey, I'm talking about a real problem. I'm talking about a real problem that real people are dealing with tonight, ladies and gentlemen. You say, well, I've never doubted anything. Well, bless God, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for lowering yourself to be here. I wish I could have said something to help you tonight. Now, there's some people, some preachers, Brother Howard, that take great joy in people doubting. And being confused. And I say shame on any preacher, Brother Howard, uh, that would psychologically trick people into making another profession of faith. They get people confused and they get them to doubt and they try to get them saved all over again. You know why? Just so they can brag about how many people they had saved in their meeting last year. I read a survey some time ago. Excuse me. That said 65% of Christians. 65%. Now I went to school in Nebo and I'm not real good at math. But doesn't that sound like a majority? 65% of Christians doubt their salvation at some time or another in their lifetime. But I've also realized this. Multiple confessions leads to multiplied confusion. May I say to you that getting you confused about your salvation is the devil's main tool to destroy the joy and the strength that God intended for you to have in your life. It brings the devil great joy to get you tore up about whether or not you really got saved or not, ladies and gentlemen. 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul said he wanted those people to experience a salvation that came with what? Much assurance. Acts chapter 19, you remember Paul was preaching and some other men came to where he was at and there was an uproar and there was a commotion and the Bible's very clear that because of the different messages of the different speakers that the whole congregation was confused. i never forget one time we provided music for a, for a revival one time, Terry. Different preacher every night. You know during the course of that five night revival meeting I heard about five different ways of how to be saved. No wonder our people are confused. It's starting in the pulpit. Somebody said, oh, if you really got saved, you, you can't get confused. Well, you just hold on a minute. Don't get super duper spiritual on me. It's never been the will of God, ladies and gentlemen. For you to be confused. If you think that God is some kind of bully that sits up in heaven and He enjoys playing with your mind and confusing you and making you miserable, can I submit unto you tonight that you've got a warped concept of the God of the Bible? The Bible said He's not the author of confusion, but He is the author of peace. I'm talking about real, deep, settled peace. So I want to preach on this subject tonight. I want to ask you a question. Are you confused or are you under conviction? There's only one thing, Richard Good, that's, being, that's better than being saved. 
And it's being saved and knowing that you're saved. Say amen right there. Now how are we going to clear this matter up? What are we going to do? How are we going to distinguish confusion from conviction? Let me ask you a question, lady. Do you really know you're saved? I wonder, and I'm not going to, but if I asked for a show of hands tonight, I wonder how many would be honest tonight to, uh, to raise their hand and say, yeah, I've doubted it sometime or another if I was really saved. You say, oh, I ain't never doubted nothing. Oh, well, you just hush and leave the rest of us alone. It's, hey, look, we're not all like you. We've not all walked on water since the day we got saved. Say amen right there, sir. Don't you ever think you're more spiritual than somebody else just because they have more trouble with doubt than you do. God's not pleased with that mess. God's not the author of confusion, but He is the author of peace. So preacher, how do you know whether you're confused or whether you're under conviction? Let me show you just a couple things. Number one, first of all, you need to remember that the devil is the author of confusion. But God is the author of peace. You'll find that in our text. Now the word author means inventor. It means founder. It means the initiator. Did you know that the Bible clearly teaches us that from the time Adam and Eve fell in the garden until this very minute right now tonight that every confused person who's ever walked the face of the earth is suffering that condition because of an act that was of the devil. God is the author of peace. He wants you to enjoy your life. God's not picking on you. If you're confused, that's not of God, ma'am. That's of the devil. <coughs> How many of you know who Corey Ten Boom was? The Christian Jew who survived the concentration camps. She said this, How can you fight the enemy until they've first been identified? First of all, you've got to identify where is your confusion from, coming from? Sir, your confusion is coming from the devil. You say, oh, I thought it was God. Hey, it ain't never been God. It's never been God's will for people to be running around confused and not knowing whether they've been saved or not. But let me tell you how low down and sorry, excuse me, the pug-nosed cross-eyed devil is. He knows that if he's got you tore up about your testimony that you'll never amount to anything for God and you'll never do anything for God. And he knows if you've, he's got you all tore up emotionally about your testimony that you're ineffective and you cannot be useful to the glory of God. Let me tell you how low down and sorry the stinking devil is. This is what confusion and doubt will do for you. You'll get ready to testify and the devil will say, What are you doing, man? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Man, you stand up, get ready to testify, and the devil will say, What are you doing? Man, you're not even saved. Next thing you know, you stop testifying. You get ready to raise your hand and the devil will say, What are you doing? You're not even saved. You put your hand down. You get ready to go in your prayer closet and the devil will say, Man, what are you doing? You know God don't hear the prayer of sinners. And all of a sudden, you're not praying anymore. You try to open your Bible and get some help from the Word of God and the devil will slip up and say, Man, what are you doing? You know lost people can't comprehend the Word of God without the illumination of the Holy Ghost. Why don't you just lay that Bible down? And all of a sudden, you're not reading your Bible anymore. And the devil's laughing and he's having a ball at your expense. 
because he's got you confused. But I'm here to tell you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, that God is the author of peace and much, much, much assurance. Confusion is from the devil, but conviction is from God. Number two, may I say to you that the devil comes with a question. But the Holy Ghost always comes. Is everybody listening? The Holy Ghost always comes with a statement. Now watch this. How do you know if you're confused or under conviction? Let me give you something to think about. You remember the very first time that the devil's mentioned in the Bible? The very first thing the devil ever said was what? Half God said question mark. Isn't that what your Bible says? You know what the devil does? He always presents himself in the form of a question. You say, well, I don't know if I'm under conviction. I don't know if I'm confused. Well, let me ask you this. Are the thoughts that are coming to your mind in the form of a question? Stuff like this. How do you know you're saved? How do you know you said the right words? How do you know you cried enough? How do you know you prayed long enough? Boy, you didn't shout like everybody else did. You didn't run the aisles like everybody else did. How do you know that you're saved? You know what that is, ladies and gentlemen? Those are confusing questions. But ladies and gentlemen, when the Holy Ghost comes in conviction, He doesn't ask any questions. No, sir. He makes a statement. You are lost. Period. Thank God when the doubts and the questions come your way, you just identify with them with the devil because God doesn't come with a question. He comes with a statement. I remember when I was a little boy, Terry. Now I'm from the old school. Is everybody okay? I'm from the old school. I still believe you still got to be under conviction to be converted. I, I don't believe that just because you shake a preacher's hand and you repeat a prayer and you tell him you'll be in church on Sunday that you got born again. I believe in old time Holy Ghost conviction. I believe there has to be a visitation from another world before you'll ever be birthed into the family of God. I remember when I was just a little boy minding my own business in church one Sunday morning. I got under old time Holy Ghost conviction. I mean, there wasn't nothing to talk about. There was nothing to negotiate. There wasn't nothing to vote on. Hey, the Holy Ghost didn't even ask my mom and daddy if it was all right to put me under conviction. All I knew that God had spoke to my heart and that I was lost. Period. And when the questions come, And you get confused and the questions are filling your mind. You just mark it down. That's not of God, ladies and gentlemen. Let me tell you something else about the Holy Ghost. When He deals with you as a sinner, He deals with you in a blanket call to repentance. How many of you remember when you was lost? Y'all remember that? When God puts you under conviction... Did he deal with you in specifics or did he just tell you, hey, you are lost? Because God deals with sinners in a generic blanket call to repentance. But let me tell you how God deals with saints. You want to know how I know I'm saved? It's right here. I'm going to help you. 
This is how I know I'm saved. When I do something, the minute I do it, the Holy Ghost says, Hey, look right here. That, that thing you just did right yonder, that, that is wrong. Because God deals with saved people in specific sin. That's the difference. You just remember God doesn't have any questions. God already knows the answer. He doesn't ask any questions. He comes with a statement. Because he already knows the answer. Number three. How do you know if you're confused or under conviction? Confusion will leave you worse than before you started. But conviction brings peace and salvation. Excuse me. Now watch this. I'm talking about miserable people. I'm talking about people who just about can't handle this stuff anymore, Preacher Howard. I mean, I'm talking about people who are on the edge and they're saying, if this is what God has to offer me, then I'm quitting anyhow. I mean, I've heard about people stand up and give their testimony in church and they said at one point in their life they were so tore up of whether they were really saved or not, Terry. They were to the point that they were ready to commit suicide. I'm talking about miserable people. And no doubt the devil's got these people confused to the point that they'd rather die than live and have to wonder about their eternal destination. Can I tell you, just that's just how sorry the low-down sorry devil is. I heard about a boy in revival meeting. <clears throat> Good boy, 29 years old. He got saved when he was 18. He come forward during the revival meeting and he told the evangelist, he said, I don't know if I'm saved or not. Now we're talking about a good boy. He'd been preaching five years. And the evangelist knew him. He said, son, why don't you think you're saved? He said, preacher, I don't remember what the preacher preached that night. I don't remember what I prayed when I prayed. Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Somebody brought a Bible and they tried to show me from the Bible how to be saved and I was crying out to God and I didn't read a word that he tried to show me. I mean, I'm talking about the Romans road, the Ephesians bypass, the Philippians overhaul. Hey, there ain't nothing wrong with that at all. But let me tell you this. If you get a man under old time Holy Ghost conviction, you get somebody to walk an aisle and they've got God on them, you don't have to read them half the New Testament to get them saved. Say amen. Sometimes I wonder, Brother Howard, if we don't get in the way more than we do try to help. I mean, we're talking about an act that takes place between a lost soul and God. Hey, you get them under old-time Holy Ghost conviction, they don't need our help. He said, Preacher, I'm so miserable. I'm about to die. I don't know what I'm going to do. The evangelist said, Son, in the past six months, how many times have you asked God to save you? Are you listening to me? The boy said, Hundreds. Hundreds. He said, preacher, I'm in worse shape now than I was before I started. That's what confusion does, ladies and gentlemen. You say, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do, preacher. Every time the devil messes with me and he tries to tell me that I'm not saved and he tries to confuse me and convince me that I'm... I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to get saved again. No, you won't. No, you won't. You might make another profession, but you ain't going to get saved again, sir. You only get saved one time. 
So what's going to have to happen is you're going to have to draw the line somewhere and if you don't, you're going to find out that every time you try to get saved all over again, it's just going to add to the confusion and add to the frustration that you're already having and you're going to be in worse shape than you were before you ever started. You say, oh, I'm just going to get saved again. Well, let me ask you a question, ma'am. What's going to be different this time than for the last time? If you really meant it the first time and God didn't save you then, what makes you think He's going to mean it and save you this time? You might as well sit in your chair if that's what you think. You might as well sit in your chair, be still, be quiet, and go to hell is what you ought to do. You see how silly that sounds now? I mean, my God, folks, God wants to save you more than you want to be saved. And people run around saying, oh, I want to be saved, but God won't save me. I say hogwash. I say ignorance of the Bible. I say stupidity. Hey, real conversion brings peace, not problems. I mean, I'm talking about people. They're so frustrated because they don't know what to do because confusion has left them worse off than when they started. But I tell you, real Holy Ghost conviction. A real experience with the Holy Ghost. Somebody said one time, I don't know if I've ever been under conviction or not. Well, I promise you, you've not. Because that's an experience you will not soon forget. You say, oh, I've never been under conviction. Well, I promise you, you've never been saved. Because real Holy Ghost conviction will make a change in your life. Number four, how do you know if you're confused Or under conviction. Listen to me now. Confusion deals with only emotions. But conviction deals with the truth. And with trust. I hate to tell you this. But here's what you'll hear a lot of times. When people are confused about whether they're saved or not. Terry they'll say well I don't feel saved. I don't feel saved. Well, can you tell me what in the name of God it's supposed to feel like? I don't feel saved. Well, what are you supposed to feel like if you're saved anyhow? Uh, Well, you know, if you get saved, everything just goes right, and you never get sick, and you're never broke, and there's always money in the bank. Excuse me, honey, but this is not a Kenneth Copeland meeting. You're at the wrong place, ma'am. Just because you're saved does not mean that you're not going to have problems. It does not mean that the bottom isn't going to fall out of your life. It doesn't mean that you're never going to be sick. Being saved means that no matter what comes your way, you'll never have to face it alone because you've got the Holy Ghost living in you. That's what being saved means. Somebody said, well, i got to get saved again. I'm not feeling right. Now you listen to me. If you're saved by how you feel, then I'm going to hell about 90% of the time because some of y'all make me mad. Say amen. If you're saved by an emotional feeling, I'm going to hell about six days out of seven, Joanne. Because I have human emotions. And I'm glad we're not saved by emotions because I'd be in trouble, you'd be in trouble, you'd be in trouble, we'd all be in trouble. I'm not saved by emotion. I'm saved by truth. I mean, my God, folks, why do you think God gave you a Bible? 
It wasn't for a paperweight or to ride around in the dash of the car. He gave you a Bible because long after experiences are forgotten, long after the emotions have come and gone, you can still anchor your faith and your trust in what the Word of God says, ladies and gentlemen. Because this Word, what God said, is forever settled in heaven. I heard a preacher on the radio one time. He's talking about this lady. She is a deacon's wife, precious lady, godly lady, faithful, good woman. He was there for revival and he preached a simple message on salvation. And she came forward during the invitation. She said, preacher, I I want you to pray with me. I'm not saved. And he knew this lady. He always knew her to be a godly, precious, saintly woman. And he said, honey, God wants to save you more than you want to be saved. But can I ask you a question? Why don't you think you're saved? She said, well, preacher, it's, it's, been, it's been so long. It's been over 40 years ago. And, and preacher, I don't remember what I said. And surely, as something as important as getting saved, I'd remember what I said, so I must not really be saved. And she said, who is that man out there that you were sitting next to before you came up here? She said, now, preacher, you know who that is. That's my husband. You know who he is. He's a deacon in the church. And he said, all right, let me ask you a question. Tell me everything you said to him during your wedding vows. Let me just stop right there. Joanne, how long have you and Richard been married? Can you tell me everything you said in your wedding vows? Doretta, how long have you and Richard been married? Can you tell me what, what all you said in your wedding vows? You remember the two words. You remember the two important words, don't you? Benny, do you remember everything you said during your wedding? Hey, we've only been married since May and I can't tell you everything we said. I'd have to go back and watch the video. Don't let me lose you. I'm making a point. And he said, tell me everything you said in your wedding vows. And she said, preacher, that's been 30 some years ago. There's no way that I can tell you everything that I said in my wedding vows. He said, well, you must not really be married then. Everybody know where I'm going with this? It's not about what you said. It's not about who preached. It's not about who sang the invitation song. It's not about what you done, ladies and gentlemen. It's about what he done. It's about what he said. I'm saved whether I feel like it or not. I'm saved by what the Bible says, not by the way I feel. <clears throat> Let me give you this and I'm finished. I'm finishing up. I'm running out of steam. Let me tell you why people doubt. First of all, I believe people doubt because there's sin in their life. Hey, when sin comes into the life of a Christian, into the life of a believer, that same Holy Ghost conviction hits them just like they were when they were lost. And if you're not mature, and you don't understand the chastising of the Lord, you'll say, well, wait a minute, hold on. The last time I felt like this, the last time this happened, I was lost. So I must be lost. I must be needing to get saved again. And what they'll do, instead of going back for fellowship and getting that thing right, they try to get saved again, Benny.
And what they're going to find out is they're going to leave in worse shape than what they already were because of sin, hidden sin. Second of all, let me say, stress causes people to doubt. Becky could probably tell you a whole lot more about this than I could. But I read somewhere that 70% of children in America today do not live with their biological mother and biological father together. That means 7 out of 10 people that I'll, 7 out of 10 children that I'll preach to somewhere across this part of the country are not living with a traditional family. Now here's what that's produced. That's produced a generation of insecurity. I wonder sometimes, Becky, if we haven't trained our children to believe that their parents only want them when they're good. And if they ever mess up, they're going to send them away somewhere, send them away to the other parent or, or, or do whatever with them. And so they're raised thinking that if I'm not good, if I don't always do right, then I must not be accepted because we have, in, we have inbred, we have taught our, the next generation, we have ingrained it in the minds of our children insecurity. So when they get saved... It's hard for them to believe, Joanne, that God takes them just as they are. And He'll love them in spite of themselves. And because of the insecurity that comes from broken homes and all the situations that, that this generation has to deal with, every time they do something wrong, instead of repenting and getting right with God, they feel like God's going to throw them away, like yesterday's garbage. And because of insecurity, because of stress... People are getting saved over and over and over again. I, I remember, you, Terry, you, you know the verse I'm talking about, and I'm probably going to butcher it when I, when I quote it. But doesn't the Bible say, out of all the things that God could let children glory in, He chose to let children glory in their Father? Isn't that what the Bible says? Now, Mama, you're important. But the Bible teaches that children glory in daddy. You ever heard the expression, daddy's girl? Daddy's boy? There's something special about daddy, but here's the problem. When daddy's not on the scene, or when daddy takes off, or when daddy's no account, and daddy won't be the father figure that he's supposed to be, we have insecurity in the home. And so these kids grow up and they have a hard time believing Terry because their earthly father didn't work out and their earthly father caused insecurity and their earthly father didn't accept them. They have a hard time believing that a heavenly father is going to accept them because of insecurity, because of stress. Let me hurry on. Well, let me hit this before I move on. You want to talk about stress? You want to talk about... I, I, this, this ain't in my notes, but it helped me. You want to talk about stress? You want to talk about problems? Let's talk about John the Baptist for a minute. You remember, it was John the Baptist who was, who was, uh, who was arrested by Herod because his wife that wasn't even really legally his wife didn't like his preaching. I mean, you want to talk about stress? How would you like to be sitting in a jail cell and see them sharpen the blade that was going to cut your head off in just a little while? 
You want to talk about stress? You want to talk about anxiety? And mind you, we're talking about, besides Jesus, one of the greatest preachers who ever breathed a breath. Talking about that, John the Baptist. And because of stress, John the Baptist doubted. You know how I know that? He sent two disciples to Jesus and he said, I just want you to know, I just want to know for sure, Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one? Am I getting my head cut off for the right thing? Because of stress. He doubted. And then now before you criticize that and say, well, I've never doubted anything, you just let somebody cut your head off. You get in that situation one good time. I say stress makes people doubt. Third of all, people doubt because of slackness. Now this is amazing to me. If it wasn't in the Bible, Terry, I wouldn't believe it. This is amazing to me. If I hadn't read it for myself, I, I would say no way this happened. Matthew chapter 28. This, is just, this blows my mind. Jesus gets up on resurrection morning and he meets with the disciples. In Matthew 28, 17, you know he says, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. And he gives them the great commission to go and preach the gospel to all the world. Now watch this. <clears throat> They're looking at Jesus. Now, now we're talking about 12 preachers, Bobby Joe. 12 preachers. Excuse me, 11. Judas was dead, I'm sorry. 11 preachers. They graduated from Jesus' seminary. We're talking about who, the men who were there when he walked on water, when he fed the multitudes. They'd seen him die, they'd seen him crucified, and they saw him resurrected everybody okay he was dead three days ago and he's alive again and they're looking at him but what your Bible says right in the middle of the great commission some doubted looking at Jesus I mean face to face and the Bible says that some still doubted Terry somebody might say oh God if you just give me a sign, yeah, but you'd still doubt. Let me tell you why they doubted. It was because they were so busy fishing that they hadn't been praying. They hadn't been in the Word of God. Now, I'm not against fishing and hunting and all this other activity, but when it takes priority over your relationship with Jesus, that, then can I say to you tonight, you've got a problem. Christians doubt because of slackness. They is too busy fishing. Jesus had done told them they is coming back, Richard. He said, I'll be back in three days, boys. Don't worry about it. And they went back to fishing. And they wasn't thinking not a thing about Jesus until Mary showed up and said, Hey, y'all need to come look. The tomb's empty. We've laid down. We've backed up. We, we've lost ground that we may or we may not ever get back. Because... Of slackness. Let's stand with our heads bowed tonight. Here's the invitation real quickly and I'm done. Can I ask you a personal question? I want to ask you a personal question. Have you been letting the devil beat you to death? Some of us might not even want to admit it publicly tonight, ladies and gentlemen. But the devil's been beating your brains out lately, hadn't he? Has the devil been coming to you with questions and trying to confuse you and mess you up 
and get you to doubting whether or not you're really saved... Hey, I want you to be delivered from that mess tonight. Uh, now you say, preacher, if I come forward, these other people are going to think I'm weak. They're going to think I'm ungodly. Can I tell you something, ma'am? Outside of Jesus, we're all weak. We're all ungodly. Hey, I want you to leave from this place tonight different. I just wonder this, and I'm done, I'm finished, I'm not going to drag it out. Is there anybody here in this building tonight that needs to get up out of their seat, draw a line in the sand, get in the altar and say, God, I'm so tired of the confusion. God, I need some peace. Aren't you tired of letting the devil have the upper hand? Aren't you tired of the devil racking your nerves and stealing your joy and robbing you of your sleep because of his lies and his questions? Why don't you run to God and tell him to get him off your back? God isn't pleased with you living in confusion, ma'am. God wants you to have real, deep, settled peace. God's not pleased with you being confused, sir. He'll help you tonight if you'll let Him. Father, I thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this time together with Your people. Lord, I pray, God, that something was said, something was done that was a help to Your precious people tonight. Lord, we pray, God, Lord, that you'd take this word, Lord, and accomplish what you'd have it to accomplish, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Any, anybody got anything? Anybody got a word?